This is Beers with Hallows. Threats, Beers, and Mouths of Boys. Welcome or welcome back. This is episode 139 of the Beers with Talos podcast. It's not. It's episode 140. Today is October 27th, 2023. I'm joined, as always, by Matt Olney and Lorraine Grenier. And joining us today, we also have a special guest, Caitlin Huey. Howdy. How you doing today, Caitlin? Hey, uh, not too bad. Good to be here. It's always so disingenuous when we say hello in the first 10 seconds, like we haven't been off for the last 20 minutes. <laughs> Don't tell people that. We're doing very important uh, show preparation. But I didn't, yeah, I didn't get to say howdy at the beginning, so. That's fair. Like you got you have to introduce the guests at the top. Only the Patreon premium YouTube channel subscribers understand what's really been going on. So it's it's no big deal. It's just, you know, it's a little bit of theater. It's the mystery, the suspension of disbelief or something. Isn't that what it's called? I, I broke the fourth microphone. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We have a good bit of ground to cover today. We're going to get things started with our roundtable like we usually do. Uh, and then today, and the reason that we have Caitlin here, is that we want to talk about our TAR, what we call our TAR, uh, our Threat Analysis Report. Is that what that stands for? Assessment. Assessment. Threat. I just the threat assessment report uh, that we just put out for Q3 of the calendar year on all the things that our IR team has been seeing in their engagements uh, for the last few months and some of the trends that we found in there and what that means. But before we get into that, let's do the thing we usually do. Uh, Matt, you are still a bit under the weather, so we'll start with Loreen today. What's on your mind? Oh, God pretty stoked that it's the end of the week it's been a long week yes been a long week it's been a series of long weeks lately hadn't it yeah yeah i would say so i would say so i think uh i managed to get extremely lucky and not get covid at the sales event in boston whereas everybody else did apparently speaking of matt how are you feeling yeah i was gonna say <laughs> so anyway that would lead to me <laughs> i just wanted talk about how we awesome we my so wife clever. is we're like oh we're in we're in maryland we'll just take the train up to boston it'll be the six hours we can avoid the airport real chill trip up was awesome sometime during last week started feeling ill pretty sure was was having some covid tested positive and then faced like a six and a half hour train ride home all masked up and everything got home wife had moved all of her stuff into the guest bedroom had given me like a little I have like a three room apartment that I live in right now <laughs> um, I'm in my office portion which connects to my bedroom and then I have a, a master bathroom and I've lived in this little box for the most part for the last week <laughs> um, there was I got home around 9 o'clock um, had a fresh pot of chicken soup already made it was amazing. I slept through Saturday for the most part. I don't remember much of it, um, which also happened to be my oldest son's birthday, unfortunately. But yeah, no, it was a uh, it was a real shitty train ride down here. But it was very cool to arrive home and just told get in your hole, I'll bring you food, and it was very nice to just go into your sickness suite. And... Yeah, and I fantasize about somebody telling me that every day. <laughs> <laughs> 
Did I ever tell you guys about uh, the Camp COVID Christmas? No. Oh, well, I'll, I'll do that for my roundtable. So my son, Xavier, got COVID. And this was um, like toward the end of the lockdown times, like that last Christmas when we were like kind of coming out of, uh, you know, the dark times there. Uh, he got COVID like right before Christmas. And we had already like got him a new, we, we had bought him a new tent for Christmas. Like him and his buddies wanted to do some more camping. So we bought him a, a cool little tent. And he got COVID, and we're like three days before Christmas, and this kid is going stir crazy in his room. So we decided, we were like, you know, Xavier, we were going to give you this for Christmas, but, uh, you know, if you want, because this is Florida, right? So it's still like 70-some degrees outside, you know, 60s at night. And uh, it's like, if you want, you know, you can have one of your Christmas presents early. This kid took the tent, took like the rest of like camping gear that we have in our house and set up this amazing like spread for himself, like outside, like we helped him get it all set up and decided he was, instead of sleeping in his room or being quarantined to his room, he was just setting up his entire own camp outside. I would so do that. That sounds amazing. And oh, it was great. It was great. Cause Christmas Eve and Christmas morning, like we would all, we could all go outside and hang out with Xavier, you know, and like have fun and we're outside. Everything's like, he's starting to feel better already. But yeah, no, he just camped in the backyard for four days and had his own little like food tent, like covered like table with the food tent, his sleeping tent right around the fire pit in the backyard. Like he had a, he had a pretty good set. He had a six foot LED color changing unicorn that my wife has as a Christmas decoration, like kind of like decorating his camp. He had the whole nine set up. Like it was, it was pretty amazing. Nice. Like my red orb, which is definitely red. Yeah, I do not understand what WebEx is doing to the color balance on your camera right now. It was very green over there. Yeah. Very uh-huh. green. It looks like a shot out of like Fallout 4 or something. It really does. It's all red in Fallout. We just think it's green. So like we're in VATS mode. Yeah. <laughs> so, Kaylin, what's going on with you this week? Anything uh, you want to talk about before we jump in? Yeah. So I have, um, I think it's been since 2016 that I've opened up my Pokemon Go app. So I've been playing a lot of Pokemon Go, sneaking in some last walks before it gets uh, super chilly outside. Um, I got to say, I'm pretty fed up with all the ghost type Pokemon. Where are my Butterfreeze? Where are the grass types? Like, I know it's Halloween almost, so, uh, but it's like a, been a month of just ghost Pokemon. So mm. I'm, ready to, I'm ready to diversify a little bit. Um, my Pokedex, so. If I remember correctly, and it's been a while since I played Pokemon Go as well. Uh, you're gonna find more grass types at like state parks and like other green spaces. Yeah, so you would you would think, but you know, it's just ghosts, you know, till I can see now. Um, if you change your GPS coordinates to make it look like you're in a different country, do you still get ghosts? Like a country that doesn't do Halloween like we do? You know, that's a good. question. All ghosts all the time in October. Yeah. I don't think you can really do that well anymore you are not telling the truth (laughs) there is no way for your phone to know where it lives except that its sensors tell the network and you control the network well i mean that's i don't i don't know how that would i don't know how they would circumvent that other than like the location it all comes from you yeah Mm -hmm. i do know that when it's raining uh certain pokemon come out so if I can spoof it that way, you know. Is that data come from your phone though? It comes. Your location comes from your phone. So you set your location to some place that's raining, 
a raining state park, you'll get a watery grass type or whatever. Yeah, right? yeah. That's all you get. Yeah, I, I live in Seattle <laughs> Watery now. grass types. Yeah, I'm... Yeah. And ghosts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, it's, if it's different from ghosts, I'll take it. I have a friend I'm going to have to ask about this. A prolific enough uh, cheater at Ingress that Niantic actually asked him to help combat cheating in Pokemon Go. So I, I don't know if that's if that's a thing you can do or if it times your I wonder if it times your your position. Like if you're in doesn't matter. You control that too. Ohio yeah. and then all of a sudden ten minutes later you're in the UK. If it's like eh eh, nope. I got on a plane, it didn't update till I got off the plane. I was in airplane mode. Like how's it gonna handle all that stuff? I have no idea. I have no idea. It's gotta trust you. But we are not actually here today to talk about threats in the Niantic Pokemon Go world. We want to talk about the threat assessment report. Got it right that time. Uh, so we recently put out, uh, like we do every quarter. So this is something we put out actually two of these every quarter. Uh, one is on our incident response, our IR team. Uh, and that is like a, a summary of uh, what they've seen over the course of the quarter. And then we usually do a, a deep dive on a particular um, exploit or a particular actor or some specific aspect of uh, the threat landscape. Uh, this one that just came out is our incident response summary for July through September. And we had some interesting takeaways, some of the trends that we would expect to continue have. And there was some new information that was presented in here uh, that we've been writing about also. And some of this will also be available um, in our upcoming year in review report. I know that there's some aspects of this, specifically some of the actors that are mentioned in this quarter's report that we'll be talking about more in that year in review report. Uh, but Caitlin, you're one of the folks that works on these every quarter. So I want to hand it over to you at the top to kind of just give us an overview of what we saw in the last quarter, what's in this report, and, and what we'll be talking about today. Yeah, uh, so the uh, quarterly IR uh, TAR, IR Threat Assessment Report, um, is, a, yeah, is a quarterly threat product, and we attempt to zoom out and just highlight notable trends observed across uh, IR engagements in a given quarter. So uh, we will sort of put these into buckets. We look at sort of top threats. So from a handful or from all of the IR engagements we saw in a quarter, are we able to say uh, what kind of threats we were seeing most in, in that time frame. Um, this includes, uh, you know, threats like ransomware, um, commodity loaders, uh, you know, in, in the last two quarters or so, uh, data theft extortion has, has come up as a, as a top threat, um, or a pretty consistent threat. Um, another bucket we kind of focus on is top affected industry verticals. So out of, out of the IR engagements, can we say anything about certain industry, industry verticals being targeted or most affected in a given quarter. Um, looking at initial access and how that's gained is, is uh, super valuable information as we attempt to sort of see uh, what weaknesses are being leveraged or, or different techniques used here. Um, and of course, also zooming out and just looking at, at were there any notable events that might have occurred? So the crackbot disruption was sort of a huge notable event this quarter, um, touching on the fact that we didn't uh, saw a decrease and saw just a, a fewer number of commodity loaders this quarter. Um, also, was just sort of an interesting observation in tandem. Um, so I think, yeah. So I guess if we want to just uh, dive into sort of the, the sort of the biggest trends, the biggest threats as we're speaking to top threats observed. 
Um, I think attacks against web applications and sort of the subsequent post-compromise activity uh, was the most observed threat this quarter, um, sort of a significant increase compared to the previous quarter. Um, and, and this just dealt with, uh, you know, a lot of uh, old tools and techniques just consistently being leveraged. Um, and it's sort of, you know, a trend from seeing a, a ton of web shell activity stem from, I think, the first quarter of this year as well. So I'm um, just seeing a lot of these just consistent techniques being leveraged um, time and time again. That's interesting. And it, it, it account. I mean, it was a it was a sizable chunk of engagements. It was like nearly a third of our IR team's engagements this quarter. About 30 percent. Yeah. Yeah. So. Are we saying so? The there, there was obviously a rise in commodity loaders, and you mentioned earlier also um, more of a rise in, in extortion, uh, destructive ransomware kind of things. And this is a, a complete aside, but I, I, I noticed when I was looking through some some of this data, like quarter over quarter and year over year, like there seems to be a lot of vari variability in uh, ransomware that we see quarter by quarter. But when we look at it year over year, it seems to have gone down um, ransomware specifically. Is that, I mean, are we seeing a commensurate rise in commodity loader and in extortion like that covers for that? Like that was going to be one of my questions that um, kind of was burning in my mind as I was going through a few of these TARs. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think this is a question that a lot of people are trying to, to answer right now. Um, so we see... We are seeing a lot of groups publicly claim and then also being reported and that we're seeing within within telemetry sets an actual transition from not deploying ransomware binary, not even um, not even uh, encrypting to just uh, extorting, um, just sending an extortion note and threatening to publicize information that has been exfiltrated. Um, I think there are a handful of groups that are publicly known to have made this this switch in the past uh past few months um which is yeah which is which is an interesting observation and we continue to also see this reflected within our ir case caseload as well i think one of the I mean, one of the things to think about when we're looking at at how to interpret this is first it's relatively new um the extortion angle it's not like it's not like in the last quarter new, but over the last 24 months or so. So I think a lot of groups are still trying to get their hands around it. And and there's a very distinct behavioral difference between actors engaging in ransomware versus factors engaging in extortion, um, where ransomware actors have always kind of portrayed themselves as like, you know, providers of a service. Like, oh, look, you've got yourself into a little pickle. Um, we'll, uh, we'll give you a little hand. Um, and, and, you know, you'll have a customer service rep and, you know, it's all wonderful. Whereas the extortion angle, it's very clear it's about power and pressure and the way they communicate um, is much more aggressive. Um, so that's very interesting. So it's like a different um, approach. But also it is a decision the actor can make at the last moment. Like if if they've if they haven't got real good control of the network for whatever reason, but they've managed to hustle out some data, then they can just go with extortion, hoping that they'll get something out of the time they put into it. Whereas if they're sitting on, you know, really critical network segments and have pushed out some really problematic software through GPO and they're in a really good position, the most likely place for them to get their money is probably still on ransomware. So don't think of it like 
actors are switching to, but think of it as actors are adding to the tool belt, and it's more indicative of kind of the situation they find themselves in, what they choose to do, rather than they're going, I'm going to go find me an extortion victim. Is the cost that they request for extortion less than the cost that they request for ransomware? Uh, no, typically, uh, well, um, I'm now, I will now very clearly state that I'm a little over my skis on this, but in my impression in looking at this, the extortion piece actually tends to be further into the, um, big game hunting area where they're looking for like real big payouts to kind of conceal information. Whereas we've actually seen sort of like on average a downtick in ransomware yeah. costs only because I think they're targeting medium-sized businesses more than they used to. It's like the lean startup model of threat actors. Yep. That's weird. So they do worse job with providing less service and doing less work with fewer people. But because they're more aggressive, they're going to ask for more because of their target and the posture. Yeah. So if you get like extorted, you should be like, motherfucker you don't have anything in my network if you could ransom me you would so prove you can ransom me well that doesn't mean that they don't have data that you don't want exposed you know what every time somebody says they have data that we don't want exposed and we look at it we're like that data is garbage so i think you should push them <laughs> i actually yeah it makes me wonder how many of the uh data theft extortion incidents we've seen had had been planned to or had been pre-ransomware um, and then just sort of a switch of I uh, didn't get to what I wanted to get to so I'm just going to send this extortion note anyway and hope for the best. Yeah. yeah. So now they companies don't realize they're actually doing better than they were two years ago because they come off so much more aggressive. That's going to be my question. <laughs> Is this indicative of defenders defending sensitive network segments better and actors are like well i got a little bit of data but i can't achieve any kind of persistence to actually ransom this stuff so let me just try and get what i can i don't want to like i, I don't want to i want to i don't want to over make the point right so like there there are definitely situations one where you get both ransomware and extortion demands kind of combined but two where you end up with what appears to be a really robust bust selection of data that has been exfiltrated um and they chose for for whatever reasons um to to go with the extortion route um there are cost reasons associated with it as well it's much easier um from a because you don't have to manage the de the the decryptor and the communication so much yeah you don't have to manage any of that half the work is there, gone there's it's also cheaper yeah you have to go it's cheaper on the um on the extortion side um, but it's very much a, a place where we are definitely seeing, um, in some cases, groups that are just doing extortion. And I think there's been a couple of high-profile successes there. So ransomware operators are like, wait, why are we busting our asses? We could do extortion stuff. And so we're starting to see different groups kind of try out that methodology. And, and so some of it is a very robust attack and, and extortion on top of that. Some of it's what we anticipate is a failed ransomware try with a little bit of data exfiltration that they were able to get hold of and trying to get some money out of it. So there's a whole bunch of different options. So I don't want to, I don't want to overstate, you know, how, how this came to be, but yeah, those are, it's death. But, but the, the key point is it is a tool available to the attacker for them to choose whether they're going to approach you 
as a ransomware problem or an extortion problem or both. Caitlin, you also mentioned that we talk about uh, verticals in the TAR reports a lot. Um, This quarter, uh, what were the trends we saw in terms of most highly targeted verticals? And and keeping in mind, like this, this data is sourced from our team's IR engagements, which is some representative sample at large, but I mean, it is just a sample of, of our clients here, um, <clears throat> which is to say that it's not necessarily an overall industry trend, but this is what we're seeing now. What were some yeah, of those targeted, and is there any reason that uh, these particular verticals would be the most targeted? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, good call out, um, for, for sample size, the, so telecommunications and education, uh, were the most targeted verticals within, within this quarter's engagements, um, which is interesting for a couple reasons. Um, tele, telecommunications, you know, is, is consistently targeted by threat actors and groups with just varying motives and sophistication. Um, and this just continues on a trend where it was, I think, consistently a top target vertical um, in Talos IR data in 2022. Um, and, you know, telecommunication providers are attractive targets um, for for several reasons. Um, the critical infrastructure assets that they sit on uh, being a gateway for adversaries to access other businesses or subscriber information, third party providers. Um and, you know, these these organizations just, you know, typically have a large amount of customer data that is often targeted by, again, uh, a number of financially motivated cyber criminals, um, such as ransomware groups or with, you know, other groups with varying motives as well, if we're speaking to uh, advanced persistent threat actors as well. Well, I mean, telecom fits in with, I think, some of the larger trends we're seeing, what we're calling our, our like network hygiene uh, type actives like uh, older, you know, switches are a thing that don't get updated as much as like security infrastructure, right? Like, I mean, I guess like the, the, the old network admin, like if it's working, it's fine. Like leave it alone. Like five nines uptime for the last five years is good for me. Uh, but you know, you see a lot of, we're seeing a lot, I guess, uh, a lot of, uh, telecommunications network operator activity, like attacks against mm-hmm. things we don't normally consider. Uh, security devices uh, is that I'm assuming leads to probably that high number of telecommunications customers we saw this last quarter. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, higher education, public administration, like that's where all the people's data is. I guess that makes sense. Um, But you mentioned uh, some specific APT activity in those areas as well. What did we see there? Yeah. And and this also coincides with um, Talos research uh, that was, uh, published also earlier this quarter um, on a new intrusion set and um, threat activity cluster that we've dubbed um, Shrouded Snooper, uh, deploying novel implants uh, such as HTTP Snoop and Pipe Snoop. Um, again, this activity uh, is attributed to sort of this advanced persistent threat cluster. We had not seen any activity uh, from uh, prior. Um, and again, uh, targeting telecommunication uh, organizations in a certain region, um, masquerading as various um, software applications used within telco provider networks, again, just furthering that legitimacy, Um, not just uh, one or two different applications, but like a multitude of them, um, you know, theoretically suggesting that they were just trying to uh, increase their sort of um, target size. Um, 
but yeah, that activity was it was interesting for a number of reasons, but the the telco targeting again just fit in within this larger trend. But again, I think the the over and under here is that you know these were uh, they were simple backdoors um, from sort of a, a malware research angle, but they were novel for a no- number of reasons. Um, and, and our blog definitely covers that more. Um, and and the the just continued masquer- masquerading as just legitimate security software components used in a number of telco providers um, was just made this a very suspicious cluster to start looking into. You mentioned earlier, um, you know, the the a lot of the the ransomware and web shells and web applications being um, primary vectors, you know, primary initial vectors. Um, what other are, are vectors are we seeing there? Because I, I know some of the other information that we talked about in here is that like that initial access is obviously still a, a, a key thing for attackers, and we we've seen them making presumably uh, continued and, and, and perhaps even somewhat new attempts to bypass MFA, um, which is a primary way that people get through with, you know, using valid accounts and, and, and that kind of thing that we see as a, as a top initial attack. Uh, so what do we see this year or this quarter rather um, in terms of like, other thing, other random things we saw. We we def. I'm sure we saw you know a lot of MFA like bypass attackers attempting to bypass MFA, um, and and what other things are they trying to get around or trying to use in that I guess longer tail of constant attacks that we usually see quarter over quarter. Yeah, I mean sometimes we're able to you know uh, logs give us the visibility to be able to see what sort of post compromise activities taking place, but sometimes beyond initial access we just sometimes don't largely have uh, an idea of what the motivation or goals are. Um, in some interesting cases this quarter, um, you know, after initial access was gained, either if it was using compromised credentials or, um, you know, like bypassing MFA, you said, um, or, you know, exploiting public facing applications, uh, that was, again, consistently pretty high this quarter. But we also, you know, sort of uh, paired that with the higher amount of just the tax facing web applications as well. Um, so those high numbers just uh, kind of spoke to that activity that we just saw a lot of this quarter. Um, but when we're seeing a lot of the, uh, you know, web application attacks, we did see some new tools being leveraged. And we also saw some really old tools being leveraged. Um, so like SQL map or, um, you know, it was, this has been around since the aughts. Uh, uh, but we're also seeing new tools. So I think we saw um, a new sort of adversary C2 framework called Supershell, um, which has the ability to to deploy web shells, just speaking to, you know, again, consistent web app attacks. And, um, you know, just seeing the, the dichotomy of, of the, you know, adversaries leveraging new, uh, new developments, as well as just like this old stuff that we just continue to see over and over again. When you see external attacks coming into public applications you're you're saying it's almost all web stuff right not like mm-hmm. uh mostly web stuff yeah so then after that how do they go from being on somebody's web server to being on somebody's network so generally not like together on the same segment with the same users right like you got a web server it's got like the admins got access to it maybe somebody's got the ability to push up to it but like users aren't really jumping on there and allowing you to take their AD credentials, right? So is there a flow? 
I think it also, not every response that we do is pre-ransomware. So a lot of those web shell stuff is is working on, particularly on, on like traditional web servers as opposed to something like an SSL VPN. So traditional web, web servers, you get a lot of crypto drops, um, stuff like that, where they're just looking to, to do that. So we, we get a lot of cases that are like, we found crypto on our thing come help us. And so we'll get in there. And, and usually if you have crypto miner on a web box, you probably have a web shell on the box and you may have more than one web shell on the box. And there maybe you may be having a party that you don't know about in your DMZ. Um, so there's, there's part, part of it's that, um, there's a party in your DMZ and you're not invited. Match metric of ownage. <laughs> um, but the, uh, but where you get to, to those web VPN stuff is where you get, then you're acting like a user. And so that's when you, when you have a perimeter access, um, that'll look like, um, something on the web server, but it is truly going for something deeper in your network. And so that's when you end up interacting with, you know, a Cisco ASA VPN or, a, or an F5 VPN or, a, um, a 40 gate or something like that. Or Citrix, uh, the more recently, the Citrix is a, is a big thing. <laughs> so then are the actors who are tend to be compromising those public uh, applications not as directed as the ones who are targeting multi-factor authentication? They tend to be like mm -hmm. more opportunistic, get what they can when they can, not looking for deeper access. Yep, 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 yep. Definitely you're looking for like a a scale operation with your with your crypto mining operation where you just want as many CPUs um, as possible. Um, I don't know if it's made it into the any of the reports, but we've also seen a couple of things where like, whereas in the past they've been happy with kind of anything, um, some crypto actors are like looking for specifically like your graphics team looking for someone who has like those high-end GPUs. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, not a lot of it, but like just enough of it to kind of like be like, oh, hey, there's a couple people who are like trying to optimize their experience on your network. I feel like you'd want to go after gamers then and not companies for that, right? Oh, yeah. They're going to be less defended. I, I, there's no way that, you know, and I, I'm, I'm way out over my skis here, but there's no way that like half of, of pirated anything doesn't have a crypto miner associated with it that's very intimately familiar with your GPU. We need safe cracks. <laughs> you need like white hat crackers. <laughs> yeah. Where are all the white hat crackers? <laughs> Where are my white hat hat crackers at? That's that's how you end up with that's how you end up with Are we still doing the talk bubbles? Because that's the one for this episode right there. Uh so one of the things I I, I did notice in here and hopefully we have enough time to dig into both of these things, but one of my notes is the report tells us that 25% of the engagements we saw this last quarter, attackers were abusing uh, remote services like RDP uh, it, solely for the purposes of lateral movement, though. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, what does that look like in those yeah. in those situations, in those scenarios? Is that an oh, uptick from previous quarters? Oh, that's much better than what I initially thought. <laughs> I initially thought like external to internal RDP, but RDP laterally makes sense. Because yeah, it's already there. You've already got the tokens you need. It's just like logging into another computer. It's like SSHing in. I wouldn't even call it lateral movement. That's just like you haven't changed your access, really. 
trying to get into another spot. So, I mean, but that begs the question, uh, when it comes to RDP, when it comes to, well, I mean, with initial access, obviously, like we've said it, God knows how many times the first two things everybody needs to do is update your shit and use MFA. Um, but in cases where you have people using RDP to move laterally or to move around to keep doing their job in your network, like how do you protect against something like that? They're inside. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. On remote services and remote service logons whenever possible. Yeah. yeah MFA is still the answer. So I guess my view of lateral movement is kind of weird and it involves you gaining another piece of access at the same level that you have that you didn't previously have. So if I own a computer and I move to a different computer and I haven't owned a user, let's say, that's a lateral movement. I've gained an asset, but the asset is at the same privilege level as the one I had, another computer. If I have a user credential and I RDP in another computer, I wouldn't consider that lateral movement because I haven't gained anything. If I then compromise that computer, that's a lateral movement. I would completely disagree. That's absolutely lateral movement because at the user level, um, and this goes back to a conversation we, we had like over a decade ago that I remember. Um, yeah, let's do it. Let's bring up the old shit. I think, I think we could discuss this. The, <laughs> no, the, it goes, it goes back to you at one point told me everyone's firewalls are pointed the wrong way. Yeah. I told somebody else this today too. Um, well, you told me that like almost 20 years ago and it made sense then. Um, but, um, but it, it has to do with what you're going after. Right. So like the purpose of like you're not in the network to like put your flag in every computer and be like, I own this computer and I own this computer and I own this computer. You're after data. And and what you do with that data, it could be like you could encrypt the data, you could steal the data, you could do whatever. But like data is the thing you're after in one sense form. So when you go to another computer, that computer will have a different set of data possibly available on it. And also, if you are moving laterally, you could be moving laterally as an administrator and, and it's and then you're you absolutely have whatever access you want when you go to the computer. So I think from a defender standpoint, you're basically, when you're talking about lateral movement, you're like, what, what do they touch? And and then I can start making an estimation of what I lost. Um, and so it's not about control so much as it is about access. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. The way that I look at it is, have you traversed another boundary? And then did that boundary get you a higher level of access or the same level of access? And yeah. so I'm not seeing that as a boundary transgression. As an actor, I can totally see you thinking that way. Like, like you're like, okay, I've landed in the the DMZ. All right, I'm kind of limited here. I have access to some data, um, and I have some access to some traffic, which might be interesting. But I need to get past the firewall to the inside to really get what I want. Yeah, and that's right. Yeah, no, I get it. I, I think it's very much, especially given the um i want to speak carefully here like just the sort of of activity that i would anticipate you having been in like that's definitely a thought process i can understand um but from like from an ir perspective when a customer says lateral movement they're talking about it more like i'm talking about it than because they're trying to say and they mean both really they're like all right which computers have they touched so i need to go scrub them i need to figure out what was on them but also if they got into this network, finance or whatever, um, then I need then then that also is a transfer in the zone that you're talking about. So you have a different set of concerns. I will say that for the large extent, I don't know enough times for it to be frustrating. 
on the inside, there's not really an understanding of, of different zones. <laughs> like, once you're inside, yeah. you're like, I'm on the inside. Yay. And then where the controls are now are in your cloud apps. Like, those are kind of the, that's the kind of the newish -er boundary um, in in larger corporations. Um, like, you can get inside of, of a large corporation and be very flat and have access to a whole bunch of volumetrically things but you still don't have access to the data you want because it's locked behind a really good 2MFA um, uh, kind of, of deal. Yeah, and I think that speaks to maybe Mitch's question. I, I think uh, what IR says a lot of the times is just the accounts, um, limit, limit the accounts that may use remote services. Certainly that's not all of the accounts. So um, just limiting limiting that. Um, as like a top mitigation there and the permissions for accounts that are at higher risk for compromise, speaking to like the data that may be more valuable to certain actors for sure. The typical way we close a lot of these conversations is we talk about the big scary thing, all the, all the problems that people are facing. Uh, but we'd be remiss if we didn't mention how users, how admins can protect themselves, can protect their networks, uh, and, and what they should be doing from, our conversation here today, obviously, it seems our our primary advice still stands strong and, and gleaming is, is primary advice, update your shit, use MFA. What else should our listeners, should users, should network admins be doing in light of... Flip your firewall around. Turn your firewall around. <laughs> yeah. Just, just be like, ah. The people at this company, in order to do their jobs, need to get to these however many websites. These are the ones that we connect to, and we do not connect to anything else on any other ports. And period. You know, if you need to do your stuff at home, don't do it at work. Just give people a four-day work week and let them do their shit at home and, you know, stop them from effing off while they're on your network. Thank God you censored that one because, you know, it hasn't been... You <laughs> 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 <Pretty much. laughs> Oh, f this whole conversation. Sorry, Hazel. Uh, <laughs> I will. Uh, I think there was. Uh, I'm trying to find the exact number, but the number was all of them. So the, that doesn't matter. Um, but AnyDesk, AnyDesk was observed in all of the ransomware incidents this quarter. So like, there's something to say there about application monitoring. <laughs> um, and all, all ransomware and pre-ransomware uh, when that was determined. So hmm. that's pretty crazy. Yeah, that's a good job on yeah. AnyDesk. I'm building like a really robust product. Yeah, yeah. It sets up fast. It transfers easily. It's very convenient. Yeah, I mean, they nailed it. Lots of people use it. Yeah. Good job, guys. All right, so no AnyDesk. Update your shit. Ha! People awful. I, I search for AnyDesk. People also search for TeamViewer, WinRAR. What's wow. that? I'm like, yeah, this all checks out. <laughs> that's a sketchy party. Anything else? Any other any other uh, security advice that we can give to wrap up before we head back to our closing thoughts and parting shots here for the day? I think it's so interesting. Like I hadn't really thought about. I mean, I guess I hadn't consciously thought about it. It's just like you are. We give two pieces of advice now, and they are for completely different events from a security perspective. You're like, okay, first you need two factor authentication. So if the bad guy has a password and username. They don't just walk through your front door and just like log in like anybody else. 
And then completely separately, <laughs> you're like, also, you need to patch your front door because there's a doggy door the size of Alabama that people can just walk through. And it's just, it's just, it seems like there was a time when, when the advice was simpler and more linear. And now you're like, you got to go wide and not just what we traditionally said was go deep. They had to go wide because there's a number of different ways. Because we talked about these two things, but we had the, um, um, we've had like social engineering experts and stuff on. Like, there's a whole other like place for like social engineering things, fishing. Like, there's there's passing that had nothing to do with patching. And it used to be it was like just I, even on this on this show, like we would just be constantly like, patch your shit, patch your shit. Like that somehow would fix everything. Yeah, and you could have everything patched and get wrecked if you don't have these other critical security things and it's just crazy to me how hard it is to be a defender right now yeah at some point they figured out that you could call 100 people on the phone and between three and seven we'll let you in (laughs) and that is just universal Absolutely universal. That was the statistic at Harris. They had like all the social engineering teams that would do the tests for State Department and stuff. And the statistic was you call 100 people, you get between three and seven hits. Every time, doesn't matter who you call, where you call, when you call, that's the stat. Then you only need one, but you get seven. Exactly. Lucky you. Yeah. Yep. Got a lot of backups there. Don't ever answer the phone. dangerous if 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 that's the best security advice we have to give today turn off your call let's provide no support (laughs) no it support for your employees anybody answer the phone anymore anyway i mean no extortion operators love your call center they want wait 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 i think we're sounding a lot more like extortion operators now then like advice (laughs) they've switched from ransomware because they don't want the contact center we should be following their lead I'm saying they don't have a call center and a help desk anymore. Like The attackers are always one step ahead of you, so just do what they're doing. Get rid of your call center. What we've learned is, uh, yeah, let's ditch the call center. No contact center. Let them figure it out. You know. All right. Before we close this up, let's head around the table. Let's get a closing thought and a parting shot uh, from everybody here today. Lorraine, we started with you, so let's go back to you first for parting shots, closing thoughts. Anything on your mind? What music are you listening to right now? Last night, I saw the Sam Grisman Project, and they were goddamn incredible. They got one album on Spotify, and it's worth listening to if you like bluegrass, folk, stuff like that. It's real good. Sam Grisman. Grisman, G-R-I-S-M-A-N. The Stone Church in Brattleboro, they were really, really impressive. I'll check that out. Sounds up my alley. Matt, closing thought, parting shot. Uh, I had two things. First, uh, hi, Hazel, and thank <laughs> you <laughs> for eliminating the long pauses I have as I try to get my brain to think and the coughing and everything else. So thank you for that, Hazel. And also, I'd like to apologize to the audience. It looks like I'm looking at my uh, waveforms. I just took a nap for about 10 minutes in the middle of this episode, and I didn't say anything for like 10 minutes. <laughs> Give her the space to lay it down. It happens. All right, Caitlin, closing thought, parting shot. Anything on your mind today? Oh, I think I'll follow the music trend. Um, going to a Rob Dixon Quartet jazz concert this evening. Um, 
Rob Dixon is the artistic director of the Indie Jazz Fest, which is notable. Um, have not seen what's what's the exact number here. I've not seen a live jazz band, and I'm too embarrassed to admit it uh, in a number of years. So it will be the first jazz concert, live jazz concert I'm going to. Is that COVID? COVID based stopped you from your jazz COVID based? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Slash, I yeah, not enough. Um, Jazz scene in Pittsburgh. I got to be honest. The thing I missed the most during COVID was live music. Like that was the one thing. As soon as like things were like opening back up, I'm like, oh, I can see bands play again. Like, don't get me wrong. It was great for all the stay at home concerts and everything that bands were doing. But like, not the same. There's something extremely unique about like live music in person that you just can't recreate on WebEx or on Zoom or anything else. And I don't even need a hundred people to be there. It could just be me and ten people, and that's just that's the live concert, um, and that's that's enough for me. Fantastic. Well, we are uh, we are getting into fall rowing season starting this weekend, so I don't get to sleep in on Saturdays anymore. So that'll be that'll be my story for the next several weeks while we're while we're doing fall rowing season with the kids. Early Saturday mornings are the the order of the day. So. My goal is now, I figure this out. Like, so if I have to like wake up at like 5 a.m. on Saturdays uh, for traveling and for everything else, my new goal is now until like through the holidays, I'm going to try and do nothing on every Sunday and see how that goes. Like, that's going to be my goal. Probably not going to work out. That's a good goal. I like that goal. Yeah. It's definitely that's... my plan for this Sunday. <laughs> this is... Yeah. Yeah. You have, you still seem like you have several days of nothingness in front of you that you should take advantage of i'm kind of aggravated because i like i have my office and so like i have uh my gaming pc here i i haven't played a game i just can't <laughs> generate enough consistent attention to do anything it's just not happening right now just not i it's not. can't can't imagine playing Baldur's gate with a brain fog not a game no, I die in every battle in Baldur's Gate, even when my brain isn't fogged, because I'm just very bad at like the the like tactical movement. I'm like, oh, I didn't that my arrow doesn't go that far, or there's a now it's a thing in my way. Well, and if I'm not mistaken, Matt, you've been playing a lot of DCS lately, and that is also not a game that is going to be conducive to brain fog. Oh yeah, I was an idiot at full mental capacity with DCS, uh, which is a, a flight a very high end flight simulator on the on the commercial side. Um, or on the consumer side, um, me, me in a plane in my current configuration, <laughs> just... <laughs> my current loadout does not permit. <laughs> like... no. You might be able to start the F-16, but only because the F-16 starts in three buttons. Oh, uh, all I do is push the, uh, automatic start sequence button and just get on with my life. <laughs> oh. Spend 20 minutes aligning a Tomcat and then just go right off the edge of the carrier. <laughs> I have definitely <laughs> done the cold start. Oh, I'm here again. Like just, <laughs> and we're wet. Fantastic. That was expensive. Start over. Everyone's waiting for you. They've been waiting for half an hour. <laughs> All right. Well, we do have some some good content and good stuff coming out uh, going into the end of the year that we want our listeners to to pay attention and be ready for some some cool stuff. Uh, not the least of which is our year in review report that is going to be coming out here in a little over a month. And we'll be talking about that here on the podcast. That's a, a, a big undertaking uh, specifically for your team, Matt. 
uh, and where we take a, a, a look back at the whole year uh, in what we've seen, kind of like how these TAR reports look back on each quarter, but this is a, a much longer and much broader scoped uh, kind of look at the entire year in ransom, not just ransomware, entire year in, in defense, really. What we saw, where we saw it, and the trends that we were able to, to establish by putting all that data together in one place. Uh, so stay tuned for that. And until next time, stay safe, stay secure, and we will talk to you later. Cheers. Bye. Bye-bye.